Today is Friday, December 16, 2022. It's day 708 of the J6 political hostage crisis. I'm Mel Holly, and this is your daily Justice in Jeopardy update. We are joined today by 28-year-old Florida Proud Boy, A.J. Fisher. A little bit about his background. He was incarcerated after January 6th for 50 days. He's been on home detention for 204 days, and he is a disabled Iraq-Afghanistan war veteran who proudly served his country in the Air Force as a C-17 aircraft loadmaster journeyman, was deployed to 37 countries during his service, flew over 600 hours, and was part of over 40 combat combat support missions. He was taken into FBI custody on January 13th. 2022 and was denied any release on January 14, 2022, due to attending the rally in D.C. on January 6. Thank you so much for joining us, AJ. Yeah, thank you for having me, y'all. You have, uh, you know, done a lot of work looking into all the defendants uh, in the upcoming Proud Boys trial. And uh, I, I'm, you know, I'm excited that, that you're able to give us some background and some uh, vision into uh, all of these different people and, uh, you know, the evidence that supports their defense, as, as well as, uh, you know, any kind of uh, thoughts you have on, on what this is going to look like uh, going to trial. So the first case for the Proud Boys is going to be the, the leaders, as they call them. Um, as everyone knows that knows the Proud Boys, it's just a men's drinking club. It's not a uh, you know organized militia or anything like that. But they're really trying to set the stage that this was some sort of insurrection, sedition, um, and they're going after these guys pretty hard, trying to ruin their lives. Um, I know some of them; they're good men. Uh, most of them are veterans. They have children. Um, they're just patriots. They've been involved in activism and rallies for years, and uh, you know, defending Trump supporters and defending the First Amendment. Uh, so they're fighting for their lives right now. Uh, they've been incarcerated since January 6th, uh, terrible conditions, solitary confinement, and uh, they're finally getting their uh, opportunity for trial two years later. Um, and uh, they, they've been locked up and not really able to defend themselves. They've had the J6 committee basically running a, a one-sided sham trial, defaming them uh, this whole time. So uh, I'm hopeful that they're going to you know, have the opportunity to you know, share their story and, and the truth. But you know, with the D.C. jury pool and, and just the, um, the the nature of the Department of Justice in D.C., you know, we're not we're not so sure. But, you know, prayers for them and, and hopefully, you know, truth comes to light. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we're not just facing um, uh, the jury pool. We're also facing from what we have witnessed ourselves is, uh, you know, blatant political bias on the part of the of uh, many of the judges, unfortunately. Absolutely. And these are some of the same judges on the uh, Trump inauguration in D.C. on uh, January 20th, 2017. These are the same judges that released 250 Antifa defendants, Black Lives Matter defendants, people that were rioting and burning down the city. Um, And none of them actually served time. 250 of them were charged with felonies facing 20 years, kind of the same as this. And they all got released by these same judges. So uh, it's clearly a double standard. Uh, It's clearly illegal. It's a violation of the 14th Amendment. But uh, you know, we'll proceed. And if they are found guilty, you know, there'll be appeals and, you know, they'll probably take this up to the Supreme Court. Uh, this case is really a referendum on the First Amendment. Uh, if, if this is allowed to continue and this persecution is allowed to continue, 
uh, there really will be no more right to freedom of speech, assembly, and protest uh, in this country going forward. Absolutely. And and uh, one thing I, I think they have going for them is uh, that, that we have had a, a lot of trials uh, before this, uh, where we've been able to to watch how these things proceed. And, and so we know things, uh, you know, how, how things go down and, and that there are many instances of uh, judges disallowing um, any kind of evidence, uh, exculpatory evidence, especially in videos, but allowing evidence. Uh, and, and we've seen this in the Oath Keepers, uh, where it's, uh, you know, it, it's just a, a, an overview of, of the narrative of that day and doesn't even explicitly, uh, you know, have have the the defendants in the video. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the Oath Keepers trial, it's really easy to go through group chats of, you know, dozens and hundreds of people and just pick out certain messages over the span of a year and put together a narrative. But, you know, it doesn't explain the actions of the Oath Keepers that day, for example. You know, all the video I've seen, they were helping police, they were helping protesters. They didn't have any weapons. They didn't do anything illegal there, um, you know, except for be there, which they say is such a crime. Yet we saw all through Trump's presidency, climate protesters, Kavanaugh protesters, uh, immigration protesters. They storm the Capitol all the time. Uh, they stop hearings. They, you know, cause a commotion all the time. The whole nation witnessed President Trump, White House justice and defense officials authorize use of force to remove peaceful protesters. Lafayette Square Park and the adjacent Pennsylvania Avenue, an area right in front of the White House, is our nation's public square. This is the atrium of the Hart Senate office building. If you take a look, as these protesters come to Capitol Hill to say no to the Kavanaugh nomination. The way this works is the authorities essentially give them a citation. It's sort of like a ticket. They have to pay bail. It's about $50. And then uh, they're released, and I'm told by the lawyers for the protesters that those charges do not remain on their criminal records. Our nation's public square. I just want to let you all know how proud I am of each and every single one of you for putting yourselves and your bodies and, and everything on the line. Is our nation's public square. This is a traditional area for Americans to express our First Amendment rights the infringement of which deserves heightened scrutiny. Um, but the Oath Keepers were there at, at a similar protest just for the right wing. And, and it's, you know, it's, uh, it's the death of democracy. So there's just a double standard. And, and you know, it is, it is. And yeah, the, the, the two tiered system of, of justice is alive and, and well in, in, in DC and in the DC courtroom. If, uh, you know, if, if we look at the, the Oath Keepers trial um, and, and what uh, the, the reason I think eyes were on that more than, than anything else was uh, that we were looking at the seditious conspiracy um, charges and, and how that came down. If, uh, if, there was, if there was one thing that you think is going to uh, bring a lot of focus to uh, the, the Proud Boy Leaders trial, uh, is, is there something that you can pick out that you think is that one thing? Um, well, it's going to be really interesting, the Brady motion that Enrique Tarrio filed on behalf of him and the other defendants, trying to get all the um, correspondence between any informants or police or FBI with, uh, you know, Proud Boys or, you know, um, uh, informants in the Proud Boys. 
Um, that's going to be really huge. As far as I know, the judge hasn't ruled on it, and we're you know a week away from trial. The bottom of page five, it says, Tario respectfully moves this court to grant this motion to disclose for the government to disclose this evidence. He wants uh, emails discussing the listed communication uh, of prosecutor to police, police to prosecutor, state witnesses to police and prosecutor, text messages and instant messages between Proud Boys to and from law enforcement. Uh, any communication between officers uh, about the Proud Boys concerning rallies and protests, um, audio and videotapes relative to communications between the Proud Boys and law enforcement. So what he's trying to do here is expose the the um, FBI's involvement in all of this um, and also expose that himself and Joe Biggs and maybe others, um, any communication they had with the FBI or with Department of Homeland Security or any of these federal agencies um, was good faith communication on their part, um, even though, you know, they were being misled. Um, in actuality, they were being investigated for terrorism themselves, even though they had never committed any act of terrorism. Um, but, you know, they, they were being duplicitous, having these guys share information on Antifa and marching routes and, and coordinating, you know, where it would be, you know, a safe marching route in D.C. Um, but meanwhile, I think they're just playing both sides and, and trying to um, you know, create incidents of terrorism where they don't exist and so that they can further crack down on, on our First Amendment. Um, but having that communication come out is, is going to be huge. Um, we've seen, um, you know, Gateway Pundit has reported, a couple other people have reported uh, that there were a bunch of confidential sources and informants at J6 in the Proud Boys, in the Oath Keepers. The vice president of the Oath Keepers, I hear, was an informant uh, for years. So, you know, this is looking more and more like a Fed surrection and people that showed up there to protest, totally legal, totally normal, totally commonplace for America and, and American discourse. Uh, you know, they were lambs led to the slaughter. And it just seems more and more like this was a setup from the top down. Nancy Pelosi didn't want to have National Guard. You know, there was the fake pipe bomb that sent all the police resources away at the exact time the certification happened, the exact time uh, that the police open fired on the crowd. You know, killed Benjamin Phillips 20 minutes later, killed Kevin Greeson with munitions, all while Trump is still on stage. Um, and they're just trying to, you know, ignore the timeline and just put these things that don't don't go together, um, you know, in the factual timeline, trying to just mush them together and, and make, you know, a made for TV, uh, you know, narrative. Yeah, absolutely. And and just a little sidebar there that that, that ties into what you said. Uh, the two uh, gentlemen that, that were killed there that you that you just mentioned, they're they're on your shirt. Uh, do you want to say a little bit about something about about your shirt and, and what yeah. it's for? So this is investigatej6.org. Um, I put it together just to compile, uh, you know, the the truth of January 6th, get the videos out there that uh, video investigators Dave Sumerall from Stop Hate and Gary uh, McBride from M5 News. Um, have put together. They've been scouring the internet since January 6th. Um, they actually have access to the 14,000 hours plus of, of footage that the government won't release um, as subject matter video experts. Um, so they're trying to put together the narrative and explain to people the actual truth, uh, you know, against what the J6 committee is saying. We've seen already with everything they've put together, their doctrine, timestamps, they're putting things together. They're actually adding audio into like a, a you know, riotous audio, adding it to uh, footage that was peace and calm, peaceful and calm, just to, you know, just to make it look, you know, as if, uh, you know, sensationalist and make it look as if it was, you know, really, uh, really violent and crazy um, in some of these scenes where it wasn't at 105 p.m. 
Benjamin Phillips here was killed by a grenade. And uh, that was while Trump was still on stage. It was when the first people showed up on the West Side. Uh, there were supposed to be permanent events that day for Latinos for Trump and for Ali Alexander to stop the steal. So people showed up on that West Side. Um, and, uh, you know, I was there. I saw grandmothers. I saw families. I saw children. I saw pet dogs. And all of a sudden, someone gave an order, I guess. We haven't heard it yet. Uh, to unleash onto the crowd. And the Capitol Police ended up using these less than lethal munitions, as they're called, um, not based in fact, because they killed two people with them. Um, but it's the first time Capitol Police have ever used this stuff, and they just uh, went absolutely uh, you know, ham on the crowd. Yeah, Capitol Police opened fire on a crowd of protesters, peacefully assembled outside the U.S. Capitol's west side. Police attacked and agitated the crowd, naming and killing civilian protesters outside the Capitol for 70 minutes until the Capitol was breached. At 2.30 p.m., rally-goers from Trump's speech arrived at the Capitol and walked through open doors on the east side, unaware that police were using lethal force against protesters for trespass. Police went on to brutally kill two women. Uh, so he was killed right away, Benjamin Phillips, and then 15 minutes later, uh, Kevin Greeson was killed. Um, and this, his death and his death were both 70-plus minutes before anyone went inside. Uh, it was more than 40 minutes before it was declared a riot. So if you want to look at what happened, why did people enter? Why did the chaos happen? How did the police lose control? You have to look at the, the timeline, look at the footage from when this started until the Capitol was entered an hour and a half later and see what transpired. And when you look at that, uh, you can see clear as day, go to stophate.com or any of these, these websites. You can see that this crowd was attacked over and over again, violently. Um, Stan Kephart, he's a, um, a police use of force expert. I guess he's uh, pretty well known. He was in the Epic Times documentary, and he said that the actions of the police uh, were, were wildly unlawful. Or in a skirmish line or in a defense posture, put them between the objective that they were protecting and the crowd. That wasn't being done. That was a shooting gallery up there, a congregation of officers. I didn't see a supervisor among them who were using these munitions to inflict harm uh, and injury on people below them. It's egregious. Rubber bullets have the potential to put an eye out. Shooting down into a crowd at the head level, which is the first primary target that would be hit by those rubber bullets, runs the risk of having somebody's eye put out or having them permanently disfigured. Impact front on from ground level is designed to hit somebody in the chest or lower so that it will sting and put them in flight. That is the design and purpose of the tool. These are people who largely support police law and order back the blue, so they did not understand why they're being fired upon. These were throughout the crowd, so there was definitely a stirring the pot effect, and and eventually it, it did come to a boil in certain areas. So, you know, the um, a lot of the documents say that the police were exercising, you know, a lot of these indictments say they were exercising, you know, their lawful duty, et cetera. But, you know, when you're killing and naming people that are entirely peaceful, chucking grenades into the crowd, you know, 40 yards back to people that are have absolutely no idea what's happening. Um, you know, you're breaking the law. So I don't think they have any you know, qualified immunity in this case. And uh, it's going to be up to the courts to decide that. Are they looking at uh, the Proud Boys uh, uh, first seditious conspiracy? What they call the leaders. OK, OK. Is that going to be in this in this first trial? And this one starts December 19th. Is that correct? Yeah, there's, only, there's only two trials that are going on with seditious conspiracy, which is 
as you know, it's ne never been tried, at least in, you know, this century or last century. Um, and the only two cases are the Oath Keepers, you know, leaders and the Proud Boys leaders uh, that are getting charged with this. Everyone else is charged with the same, you know, 1512 and all these other counts of, of trespassing and et cetera. We know that in the Oath Keepers, they were they're monitoring uh, their their comms uh, in, in signal uh, months before this went down. Was the same thing going on with the Proud Boys leaders? We're going to see. I, I would say, okay. yes. Um, okay. like I said, Enrique put in the Brady motion um, and we should go over that, uh, what he asked for. Um, there's there's been a common narrative that I've heard everywhere that saying Joe Biggs and Enrique are informants themselves um, as the you know leaders of the Proud Boys. Um, but in actuality, from from my research and from what I've been seeing, the only times that Joe Biggs coordinated with FBI, uh, you know, was as uh, a patriotic citizen in good faith with FBI agents who he thought were interested in deterring Antifa terrorism. So he had a he had a working relationship with some agents, or or so he thought. But it turns out they had a domestic terrorism investigation on him himself, and this is with some other leaders of the Proud Boys. Um, so they were, they were, the FBI was investigating them for domestic terrorism long before. Um, and uh, the narrative has been set that these guys were, you know, working for the, the government. And I think that's why Enrique wanted to get all the communications out there just to show that, yeah, he might have been talking to the FBI, but it was in good faith. He was trying to do it as a concerned citizen um, and inform on some of these Antifa groups that they're seeing in the street causing violence. You know, they're well aware that that uh, pushing out these kind of narratives um, works to divide within uh, the patriot side of all of this and uh, within their own organization and, and causes a lot of upheaval there. So, uh, you know, it's it's obviously very intentional in, in that direction, too. Yeah, absolutely. It's disinformation. I mean, the, the same thing with Ashley Babbitt. And I see people all the time saying that, you know, her death is staged and it's all this big conspiracy. And all it's doing is diverting and, and dividing our side. And we need to be unified and we need to be looking for the truth and exposing the truth. And instead, it's just it's just infighting. And, and you know, that's that's what FBI and, and these groups want. That's why they infiltrate these groups. Um, you know, they try to take it over from the inside and destroy it and and then set people up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, is there anything else you you need to to speak to about uh, what preceded the Capitol entry? Yeah, just I want to make it clear, and people need to understand that, and people need to talk about it. Marjorie Taylor Greene and everyone else need to need to explain that before Trump even got off the stage, there's two men dead outside on their steps, and they don't even talk about their names. You know, we witnessed the year of summer of love riots. You know, any any criminal. Uh, you know, even pulling a knife on a police officer gets shot and the whole, uh, you know, the whole city where it happens erupts into flames and violence. And, you know, conversely, peaceful, you know, protesters, you know, non-criminals, um, you know, these four show up to exercise their rights. They get killed and, and you don't even know their names. You know, our Congress people won't say their names on the floor. Our media won't say their names. You know, the conservative ink pundits and influencers won't say their names. It's it's bizarre. Uh, you know, their lives matter just as much as any black lab, you know, matters. And, you know, we need to say their names just as we had to say, you know, I can go through the list of all the people that were killed by police, you know, the Black Lives Matter side. You know, why don't you know Benjamin Greeson and Kevin Phillips, uh, uh, Benjamin Phillips and Kevin Greeson's name? Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And, and that is why uh, not only do we do a roll call of uh, all of our, you know, uh, in, incarcerated 
January 6th political hostages, but uh, we also say their names every night, including uh, including Officer Brian Sicknick, because, uh, you know, that we have to direct attention there. And, and that's absolutely what we want to bring uh, directly to our to our Congress members. Uh, especially now uh, p- post midterms, because uh, you know there's there's been a little uh, change in the wind that uh, even those who were not willing to to talk about this and look at this, um, they, they're now they now have a little more courage and uh, a little more a little less fear, and and uh, so we're really hoping to uh, to get them to to investigate this. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, that's what we need. We need an impartial best investigation. You know, I don't I don't want any, you know, selective facts like the J6 committee did. You know, we just need the truth and the truth will vindicate people. It'll show exactly what happened um, and it'll really shift the blame from these people that showed up on January 6th as patriots um, to the actions of you know people that run the Capitol and the police there. Is there anything that you want to go over specifically with each of the, these defendants and, and give it a little background? So I've, I've talked with um, uh, Newsmax and Gateway Pundit about this MOSD chapter that the Proud Boys created. Uh, so you'll see when this trial starts, um, this is the, if you look at the indictments of these guys, this is the whole basis of the uh, seditious conspiracy charge, that they started a group a week before January 6th. Um, it sounds nefarious. They make it seem in these documents like they started this group as a storming the Capitol force. Um, so I released the video back uh, when I got out of jail in August, and it just, for an hour and 40 minutes, you can see people talking about how are we going to keep protesters safe. Uh, Four Proud Boys were stabbed in the 30 to 40 days preceding January 6th in D.C. Hey! Whoa, whoa, hey! Black Lives Matter over here! Gotta help him. I'm bleeding. They stabbed me. They stabbed me. Really oh shit, they stabbed Bevel and Beatty right now. They just stabbed Bevel and Beatty. Call 911. Oh my god, you've got tons of blood coming out of your neck. Yes, I do. Okay, hey, hey. Okay, you guys, this is getting really bad out here. We had two of our people, Bevel and Beatty just got stabbed in her back, and another friend of ours just got stabbed in his neck. So it was mostly centered on that, you know, medical supplies. Uh, the way that we would march, the way that we would, you know, keep civilian protesters away from our ranks as we're marching uh, when we're on our marching routes. Um, and we were talking also about, you know, that uh, Enrique brings up in um, Ethan Norgeen, Rufio. He wanted to go do some events after January 6th. So if you actually watch this video, which is the basis for the seditious conspiracy uh, charge, and it's the planning video six days before January 6th, there's absolutely no mention of any of any of the criminality that they allege. It, it's all planning and standardization of, of things so that we don't have four Proud Boys stabbed again. And what if some Trump supporters get stabbed and, you know, they pass away? And that was the whole the whole effort of this MOSD chapter. Um, and they've just they've just twisted it and, and um, you know, made all these you know, alluded to all these, um, you know, um, you know, crimes that, that these guys were were going to commit. But. There's no there there. I've been beating this drum from day one, and the people in the streets, the attorneys, the prisoners, the family members are giving you the real accounts of what happened on January 6th. That's what the people think. Now we take it to the table and bring you some exclusive guests. A.J. Fisher, he's a uh, Air Force veteran. He's a uh, proud member of the Proud Boys still. And uh, A.J., thank you so much for joining us 
telling your story. Um, but this video that you shared with us kind of gives America a real good look into what was happening in the minds of the Proud Boys, in particular, the Ministry of Self-Defense. Um, you were on that call. How important is, is it for us to get this information out there? Yeah, it's huge. Um, the, the whole crux of the indictment for seditious conspiracy um, really relies on the creation of this MOSD chapter. And uh, if you watch this YouTube video that was filmed and, and uh, live stream recorded a week before January 6th, you just see that uh, this whole indictment is a fraud. And uh, these guys really did nothing wrong. There was no conspiracy to do anything other than to have safe and uh, fun rallies going forward. So basically what I see in this video, and I watched the whole entire video, is really the Proud Boys were there to defend against Antifa, and they were talking more about self-defense, how they could protect themselves against Antifa, and also things like not get drunk and to stay out of trouble and not cross police barriers. You were there. You were listening to the meeting. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so this chapter was created in response to previous events, uh, one just a few weeks prior and then the month before that, where uh, four Proud Boys members were stabbed, uh, almost killed. And uh, we created this chapter uh, so we could have guys that had throttle control. Um, that's something that Enrique said uh, many times during that video, guys that could have throttle control and stay cool under pressure. Um, so in the event there was an attack, uh, we could protect those Trump supporters and ourselves uh, from another stabbing and possibly death. Right. So, AJ, uh, I want to throw to a few clips. Now, um, we have the entire two-hour call unedited, um, and this meeting was on December 30th, 2020, about seven days before. Not sure if there are any meetings afterwards, but this one, right to start out the meeting, uh, I want you to take a look at, and here's Enrique Tarrio, who's currently also indicted, the president of the Proud Boys, starting the meeting... And look what he's telling his uh, group of the Ministry of Self-Defense. We're never going to be the ones to cross a police barrier or cross something in order to get to somebody. We're always going to be the ones standing back, right? Um, and we're always going to be the ones to defend. And we've been really good at it. We've been, let, let's be honest, we've been really good at that. What are your thoughts on how he even started it for this supposed Ministry of Self-Defense who conspired to take over the Capitol? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that, that's one clip of many that just show the creation of this chapter was strictly to be a self-defensive movement by the Proud Boys to standardize operations for this social club. Uh, we mostly talk about medical supplies and uh, standardization of what we would do in the event of any violence perpetrated on us or on the Proud Boys and the uh, Trump supporters. As moving forward, we can't continue to have that issue. It will bury the entire club if one huge incident happens um, and we're at fault. I saw a lot of people going on the offense. We're not used to going on the offense. That's why it's called self-defense. Self-defense should always come first. You should always defend yourself. We shouldn't put ourselves in harm's way, right? We've been known to defend people. I get it, right? But it doesn't mean that we have to go out and look for it. The majority of the Proud Boys on that indictment are in jail right now in solitary confinement awaiting trial. They're totally being used, as far as I'm concerned, by the government as fall guys to pin this insurrection, quote unquote, on when in reality they were planning to literally go there to march and, you know, to exercise their First Amendment rights. Um, thank you so much for coming out with this video, AJ. I know that you mentioned that uh, you got out of jail and you saw that these guys were being charged with seditious conspiracy and you felt like you had to come forward and show this video to the world. 
Absolutely. Yeah, these guys are charged with seditious conspiracy now. It's the newest indictment that's come out. They use this MOSD chapter as the whole basis for the charge. And uh, this video is the planning video seven days before. I mean, what better way to see if this indictment is truthful than, you know, to watch this video? And uh, when you watch this video, you see we're proud boys. Uh, we like to rally and have fun. And uh, Enrique just wanted to make sure guys weren't drunk and, and acting sloppy and getting into fights that, you know, they might start. Um, instead, we wanted to be there to be a security self-defense group there for the safety of any rally goers. And, you know, this, this creation of this MOSD chapter was not for January 6th. It was for every rally going forward. Uh, we talk about a lot of rallies that we're going to be planning later on. So uh, the whole idea that this was created as a response to the uh, certification of votes and we wanted to go do something uh, nefarious that day, it's absolutely patently false. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I know that they also... Uh you know, decided uh, there would be no colors worn. Uh, so so the, the yellow and black would, would not be, you know, there across the board. Uh, can you speak to that and why that decision was made? Um, no, that was a decision by Enrique. It was kind of a publicity thing, I think, because he posted it on Parlor before then. Um, I think the real reason was the local chapter has discretion on, on Proud Boys rallies in their area. And I think that they didn't approve it. So Proud Boys were going not in colors. And they were really there just as civilians. I mean, people... You know, there it wasn't just the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers at January 6th. There were millions of people there. So, you know, people were just showing up as concerned patriots. And, you know, we all sit back and we work and, you know, we don't necessarily often protest for what we believe in. And people decided that it was important enough that day to get up and fly to D.C. and drive to D.C. and just say, hey, this is middle America. We're here. We have a voice. And, you know, you need to you need to hear it. And uh, obviously they didn't want to hear it. And now they've created the narrative that, you know, people went there to take over the government. So they, they wanted to go uh, just like millions of other Americans to um, to use their their right to free speech. And uh, because of, of what they generally do, they, they also wanted to be able to defend the innocent and, uh, you know, protect against uh, actions of Antifa and BLM or anything else that they had witnessed at, at many other rallies that they knew might be even in bigger force here because of the situation and uh, because there were going to be a lot larger numbers, right? Yeah. And um, another thing I want to mention, I wanted to go over some of the documents. Um, they, they make a lot of um, big grand um, you know, allusions toward uh, that this is some nefarious thing that they've started with MOSD. In, in uh, Ethan Nordine's documents, uh, they cite that he raised funds uh, for protective gear and all this stuff. They try to make it look like it's nefarious, like, you know, he's a Taliban leader trying to get, you know, AK-47s and all this stuff. And they're trying to get stab-proof vests. Uh, they're trying to get medical supplies like they had to use in December. Um, you know, IFACs for stab wounds. So they're all trying to do, you know, uh, responsible, you know, good things for rallies to keep them safe, to keep their guys protected. And then the government turns it around and says, oh, they were, uh, you know, crowdfunding for protective, protective gear and tactical vests and you know, they just try to make it seem like this is some military unit um, when it has nothing to do with, you know, any any anything like that. It's not Trump's army. It's not a paramilitary force. It's just a bunch of guys that love the First Amendment and love this country. Yeah, and we've seen that uh, with with other people who are who are associated with other uh, supposed militia groups is that they went there and their backpacks were, were, were full of first aid. And, and then that's it, you know. Yeah, yeah. I had, yeah. I had to triage a couple of people on January 6th myself. Um, I, when I was in the Air Force, part of one of my duties was a DOD combat casualty care instructor. Um, and, you know, I had 
within the first few minutes of the protest, I had that guy that was shot through the face um, right in front of me with a rubber bullet um, bleeding out extensively. I talked to the police. Um, they advised us to, you know, try to get the guy out of the crowd. Um, and then, you know, that was the first instance of many where I just saw people, you know, severely hurt. Um, some guy was shot in the leg with a with a 40 millimeter mortar you know, launcher. I don't even know why they have these. Um, but it says on the munition, it says, do not fire at anyone, at any target within 50 feet because you're risking, you know, a, a death. And they did it anyway. And they shot this guy in the leg point blank and shattered his femur. You know, this, this, the, what happened was brutal. And the J6 committee also says it was brutal, but they're, they're, you know, misinterpreting what happened and trying to create a narrative that it was brutal on the side of the Trump supporters when it wasn't, you know, the police, uh, you know, violently attacked the crowd. It was horrific. And there's no justice for these people. You know, it's just victim blaming. You know, they shouldn't have been there. They deserved it. You know, I see on Twitter all the time, Ashley Babbitt deserved it. And the rest of them should have got shot, too. And it's like, OK, you know, I see what you're doing. You guys go there and protest and it's fine. And if anyone touches you, uh, a leftist activist, you know, they're going to be sued and, and the city might burn. But if a Trump supporter goes, you want them dead. Not because they broke the law, because you just want them dead. We've even seen uh, commission hearings uh, where, where they have their... Antifa witnesses uh, come in and and they say you know oh it was awful I was tear gassed and whatever and and you've got the uh, the congressmen or senators wherever it wherever it happened who are who are saying oh gosh this is terrible this is this is exactly. against the law no LES should be acting like this toward toward citizens so it's exactly uh, yeah five months before January sixth Congress had an inquiry on the Lafayette Square it was um, Memorial Day six months before J six. Uh, the riots that happened there, they, they had Trump forced into the bunker. I'm sure you remember all this, um, just lighting the city on fire, lit St. John's Church on fire. And that's, I think, the committee that you're referring to. You know, every Democrat that's probably running for office next year was getting their sound bites in saying, you know, you know, we should never use these weapons on people. This is so horrific. People have a right to redress their government and, and they have a right to stand outside the windows of their congressmen so they can hear their voice. And it's it's just all supportive of these people who are actually rioting. And, and they injured like 100 um, uh, federal agents throwing Molotov cocktails at the White House. And you have these congressmen having a hearing, these poor people that, you know, were assaulted by police. How dare they? January 6th happens. No one's got a Molotov cocktail. No one's there to do anything. And they get attacked and it's silence. And, and the worst and the sickest part of it is it's silence on the Republican side. They can't even defend their constituents when their constituents are in the right, you know. But yeah. when the left is wrong. You know, Kamala Harris is out there pushing a bail fund to get them back on the streets for, you know, night two of rioting. It's, it's absolutely a clown world. And it's, it's, you know, it's illegal. But, you know, it's going to take strong people, strong congressmen and, and strong judges to counter this and to stand up. Because if not, you know, illegal or not, unconstitutional or not, they're getting away with it. The whole nation witnessed President Trump, White House justice and defense officials authorize use of force to remove peaceful protesters. Lafayette Square Park and the adjacent Pennsylvania Avenue, an area right in front of the White House, is our nation's public square. This is the atrium of the Hart Senate office building. If you take a look, as these protesters come to Capitol Hill to say no to the Kavanaugh nomination. The way this works is the authorities essentially give them a citation. It's sort of like a ticket. They have to pay bail. It's about $50. And then uh, they're released. And I'm told by the lawyers for the protesters that 
those charges do not remain on their criminal records. Our nation's public square. is our nation's public square. This is a traditional area for Americans to express our First Amendment rights, the infringement of which deserves heightened scrutiny. The, the media and the social media narrative, of course, as we know, uh, with, the, with the White House siege, um, you know, did, did uh, deflect and totally focus on Oh, you know, look, look, poor, poor little Trump had to had to go run to the bunker and and they defend, you know, and, and that's the White House. And uh, then they defend the, the Capitol as how, how dare you go after this this sacred building and our, our sacred Congress members. You know, how dare you? That's that's just so much worse and, and, and just horrific and, and, and evil. You know, yeah, they're inconsistent. And that's the point. It's it's not so much about, you know, it's like Rahm Emanuel said. You know, never let a, a crisis go to waste, or maybe that was Saul Alinsky or both of them. Um, but that's exactly what it is when it's when it's their you know uh, political aims you know being attacked. You know they they take that opportunity to to hammer down on the police and to hammer down on on the, the, the society. And CNN will you know cover for them and say that it's mostly peaceful and they deserve to be doing this and it's their right. And then on the other side, when something like January six happens. You know, that's the opportunity to go after, you know, free speech, dissent and the right wing and, and shut it all down and make sure that Trump can never run again. And, you know, all their aims, it, it has nothing to do with the actual events. It's just they look at it and say, what could we get out of this? And and I think they engineered January 6th from the beginning so, so that something, you know, awful would happen and people would die just so they could use it. You know, the at 1, at 1 p.m. when this all kicked off. Congressmen were inside ready to object to, uh, you know, the certification. There were states all over the country that were going to object. This happens. And then when they come back at 8 p.m., uh, Ted Cruz and the rest of them tucked tail and, and they gave up on their their ambition to challenge this based on, you know, things that they saw that irregularities that they saw that were worthy of attention. Um, they just gave up on it and uh, and moved on. And ever since then, they've just been trying to push January 6th under the rug. Because um, they see it as, you know, some sort of blight on democracy. And, and you know, they don't have any interest in winning, I don't think. They just, you know, perpetually, the Republican Party is perpetually losing and, and perpetually, um, you know, playing from a defensive position instead of going on the offense. You have the majority of the country behind you, you know, start start changing things for the better. But, you know, we see our country just going down the sewer. And, you know, these people that want to be elected, uh, it's, it seems like it's more of a power and, uh, you know, ego thing. They don't really have us or our nation, uh, you know, in their best interests. Um, in this is Ethan Nordine's complaint. It says at 1253, a group of people forcefully ble- breached the barriers. And it names the, all the guys charged, Nordine, Biggs, Real, Donahoe. Um, so they, they talk about one, uh, 1253 and then 1 p.m. Um, that they were supposed to certify. And then all of a sudden it jumps to 2.13 p.m. And that's when people entered the Capitol. So, you know, these, these statements of facts are actually misleading. They're, they're leaving out the facts. Tell me what happened between 1253 and 213. You know, that, that's an hour and a half of what really started January 6th before anyone went inside. That should be the most important thing that we look order, at. Order parliamentary inquiry, Mr. Vice President. In order to follow with the speaker's instructions that only a limited number of people be on the floor, 
May I ask how one would make an objection or make a parliamentary inquiry in the future if you're not on the floor but in the gallery? Under Section 18 of Title III of the United States Code, uh, debate is not permitted in the joint session. I'm not attempting to debate. I'm trying to find out how a parliamentary inquiry or a parliamentary point of order would be made in following with the speaker's uh, request that most of us not be on the floor. How do you make one of those points of order when you don't know what's going to happen later? Uh, respectfully, the gentleman's parliamentary inquiry constitutes debate which is not permitted in the joint session under Section 18 of Title III, United States Code. But they ignore that. They ignore that Ethan Nordeen, Joe Biggs, Pozzola, Donahoe, all these guys were in this crowd on the west side getting bombarded. You know, we have footage of Joe Biggs watching uh, Derek Largo be carried away on a stretcher after a Capitol Police officer. Instead of, he, he was scaling the wall, instead of giving him a hand and pulling him up and maybe arresting him or whatever they had to do, he shoves him off the wall to, you know, presumably his death. Joe Biggs, you can see in, in one of the footage, um, pieces of footage that Stop Hate found, you can see Joe Biggs looking on at this. Oh, oh, oh. The protester was climbing the wall. He had seen somebody put a giant American flag up on the scaffolding for inauguration, and he wanted to put his Trump flag up. He scaled the wall, and when he got up there, he didn't have a chance to put the flag up. A couple officers took swipes at him over the rail and missed him, but then he actually got into a standing position and a motorcycle police officer from Capitol Police came up with a pretty good stride and shoved him. And he fell at least 20 feet and was seriously injured. That was witnessed by a lot of people. And then when they carried him out, a lot of the crowd saw the after effects of that and they were very upset. Um, there's another bit of footage that Stop Hate found and uh, it's Ethan Nordeen covering his face from all the gas that they're spraying at them. Um, you could also see Ethan Nordeen try to stop somebody who, who's trying to fight back with a cop. They ignore all this, and they just say that Joe Biggs and these guys, you know, stormed the cap stormed through the barriers right in the capitol you know basically they're trying to insinuate that they're trying to like go get nancy pelosi or something um and in reality they're in a crowd for an hour and a half being attacked with munitions uh, munitions banned by the geneva convention in war that you can't use in any other civilian population except for us um and they, they just completely ignore that and then like i said um you know they used his crowdfunding uh effort to get protective gear is is very uh specific on what he wants to get but, um, you know, you just you just use the words tactical, um, you know, instead of a, a stab vest, you say tactical vest and, you know, tactical gloves. I don't know what a tactical glove is, but apparently it's very illegal to have at the Capitol that day through page seven and eight, um, where they explain how this was a conspiracy. Um, conspiracies carry 20 years in prison. Um, it's not very clear what a conspiracy is. Um, you know, basically a, a discussion between two parties can be a conspiracy. I don't understand how Antifa hasn't been charged with conspiracy. I don't understand how when Greenpeace brought Kavanaugh protesters on buses to the Capitol to stop, you know, that process, that that wasn't a conspiracy. Uh, it seems like it would be. But, you know, they, they use this loose, you know, thought crime of conspiracy um, just for having discussions. Um, and on page seven, you can see, um, you know, Ethan Nordine used websites, social media and other electronic communications to raise funds for paramilitary gear and supplies. I don't know what paramilitary gear and supplies 
uh, constitute, but that certainly wasn't what the Proud Boys were collecting. Um, concealed tactical vests. You know, they use the word concealed as if it's a weapon. It's all just just reinforcing this narrative that these people committed crimes when they didn't. It's 1984 with the with the 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 words and and yeah. uh, you know using the words to uh, become scary things. Uh, it, it, we've seen that uh, you know with the FBI explaining to us uh, that that if we have uh, Gadsden flags or yeah. uh, we support 2A that that we actually it. Uh, was on there as well. Domestic violent extremism. Endorsing the First Amendment and Second Amendment. You're now some type yeah. of terrorist. You aren't allowed um, in, in most of these courtrooms, these judges will will not allow um, Ashley Babbitt's name to be brought up. Or uh, there's other things that are just, oh, you're not allowed to use uh, self-defense as part of your defense. I mean, they, they literally are saying these things, uh, you know, to the defendants and their attorneys. And, um, yeah. you know, it's, it's like, where do you go with that? Yeah, they're making it impossible to actually have a defense, and and these these um, big vague terms, conspiracy, you know, scheming, all these things that are in these documents, it's it's just makes it easy for them to apply crimes to one group and not to the other. And then you have these judges like Sullivan's one of them. I remember from the Flynn case, he's handling January six cases, and he called General Flynn a, a traitor before before his trial even happened. He's just going around slandering this guy, and he's doing it with January sixers. A lot of them are. Uh, it's just a miscarriage of justice. Yeah, is isn't Sullivan the one that's been recused from from all of the J six cases? I am not familiar with that. I, I, I believe it's Sullivan. Um, he has uh, been recu recused from all J six cases, and uh, there have been so many cases of of his uh, blatant uh, bias in the courtroom. And um, so, you, you know, it, it, it is very possible that, uh, you know, because we've seen it firsthand live in these courtrooms, the, the bias from the judges. And, and it's just unbelievable. I think if there were if there were cameras in these courtrooms, uh, this this would have woken up uh, the part of this country that is not woken up to, to what's really going on in these cases. Um, it, you know, it, it would be over I mean, um, on the guys indicted. Uh, Zachary Real. Ethan Nordeen, Joe Biggs, Dominic Pozzola, and um, uh, I, I think I left one out, but um, there are two guys that they've gotten to plea um, and in reality bear false witness against themselves and their brothers. Um, from what I've seen, their plea deals, they're going to get like maybe five years in prison. And if they get, um, you know, if their testimony and, and this case leads to guilty convictions for the rest of the guys who haven't taken plea deals, um, they're probably going to spend... 20 years for the rest of their lives in prison away from their families. Um, and these guys, uh, one of them is Charles Donahoe. Uh, he's a Marine veteran. Uh, he was a former president of, of one of the chapters, I think North Carolina or somewhere. Um, and uh, they had him in solitary confinement in horrible conditions for 200 plus days. And that's the point. Uh, they're trying to break these guys' spirit and their will. Um, he took the bait, I guess, the prospect of spending the rest of his life in prison for something he didn't do. Um, you know, he couldn't take it and he decided to bear false witness against himself for a not really a good deal. But I guess, you know, five years is better than the prospect of, of, of many more years. Um, so they're just getting these guys to admit to, you know, non-crimes, to admit to these conspiracies um, when, you know, the crimes of being at the Capitol that day or whatever, are really the only things that they should be going after. But, you know, they want to make an overarching conspiracy just because it looks so bad and and, you know, they can pull group chat messages together and create a narrative and, you know, just destroy these people.
Yeah, and and we found uh, that uh, in in looking at all these different plea deals that are that are uh, being offered, that they're sneaking in a lot of little things that that um, people if if they're not connected in a in a good community, if they don't have a good attorney, uh, that they are not they're not aware what a big role these things are going to play in their lives going forward. Uh, whether it uh, you know puts uh, duct tape over their mouth basically for the rest of their lives that they're never allowed to publicly speak about their case. Um, yeah. You know, no uh, quote book deals or or anything uh, even twenty years from now, as well as uh, you know setting up these quote exit interviews. That, that set them up to look like a rat or uh, that they want to uh, be able to monitor their social media. I mean, it just goes on and on. Right. And and you brought up it's it's the legal defense of these people that's failing them the most. You know, in the case of, of Charles Donahoe, he's got public defenders. He's in jail. He doesn't know that the crime that he pled to, 1512 Section B, is a non-crime. Uh, a couple of judges have already thrown it out. Um, in some of the cases, I think Jake Lang's case, it was thrown out, and then the government's arguing to bring it back in. But if people don't know, it's a post-Enron law of stopping people that are under subpoena, like Hillary Clinton was with her emails, from destroying destroying evidence. So there, there's absolutely no way that you can use a destroying evidence, um, which is a, a, a witness intimidation type statute, and apply it to January 6th. But it carries 20 years. And Charles Donahoe pled to it, even though it's not a legitimate crime. So, you know, they're not being served by their public defenders. When you're in jail in solitary confinement, you know, good luck trying to talk to your lawyer maybe once every few months. Um, and then if they're if they're a public defender that, you know, either hates Trump, hates you, um, or is just, you know, bad at their job, uh, they're not advising these guys well. And that's the point of keeping them locked up, um, you know, like, like prisoners uh, before their trial. It's just so that they don't have access to the full information you know, in the full community that we have out on the outside, um, where we can advise other people and have lawyers give us, you know, advice and, and tell us these things. You know, I didn't know 1512 was illegitimate until I got out and I heard that. And then I see, you know, this guy Donahoe plead to it. And it's just a travesty. Um, and then the other guy that it was, it was the big bombshell that dropped in October. The other guy that pled against his brothers, uh, Baird Fold, false witness against himself and his brothers. Um, he, it seems like pled because I guess he was a felon. And uh, they raided his house and he had some rifles hidden somewhere. So, you know, it's, it's really just trying to save himself from weapons charges for, you know, something that he did, you know, whether you think that's wrong or right, um, if you should felon should have guns, um, you know, something that he should take responsibility for. But it seems like they held that over his head and got him to agree that there was a conspiracy on January 6th. You know, so he'd do some time that he would have probably done anyway for the guns. And then, you know, the, the rest of his brothers rot in prison. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's just really sick. But, you know, extortion is the uh, it's the name of the game with the DOJ. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what one one advancement we've seen uh, that actually is is hopeful. And uh, this this actually ties into what you mentioned a few minutes ago. And and that is how they're they're trying to to wear these guys down. And, and uh, not only the military guys, but we've seen the, them playing these these mental games. Uh, to really try to affect the mental health of of not only the vets but but of all the guys across the board, and that is that uh, when it's when it's coming time to trial, uh, you know, say you've got guys in Northern Neck, so that's where we had Ethan Nordine and and Zachary Real, um, and it is an eighteen hour hour day for them when they're shipping them back and forth during trial to uh, they you know they get them up at three in the morning. 
they bust them in, then they have to hang out in the the DC jail and until they're taken to the courtroom. And uh, then, uh, you know, th- this happens over and over again uh, throughout the trial. So they're exhausted and it's really hard to uh, go into courtroom, sit in a courtroom and defend yourself. Uh, so, so it's, it's really a, a, a good thing that uh, they have gone ahead and moved these guys into uh, closer into DC um, so that, you know, it's, it's not going to be as, as, as hard on them. So that's actually really good news. Yeah. I didn't know they were moved, but that is good. Um, I can tell you from being in jail for January 6th myself, um, you don't sleep well, you don't get any good nutritious food, you don't get any sunlight. So, I mean, these guys are really at a disadvantage. Their health is, is you know, I'm, I'm sure their health has declined substantially. I'm sure they're all emaciated and, um, you know, it's just, it, it's hard to keep motivated, but that's where the Lord comes in. That's where Christ comes in. And uh, the guys that have strong spirits, you know, I'm sure they're, you know, in the word and speaking with the Lord every day. And, you know, he's guiding this, you know, these guys might get found guilty. It's a real possibility, but um, God put us here for a reason. Um, I believe I'm in this position so that I can bear, you know, testimony and, and give my eyewitness account. And, um, you know, this is, like I said, the implications of January 6th, I think are going to be greater on freedom of speech and freedom of assembly um, and our freedoms, you know, in general than 9-11 was with the Patriot Act. Um, so we really need to fight here. But I think that's why God put, um, you know, Biggs and Nordin and all these guys here. Um, you know, it's, you know, we need to, to fight the tyranny that's going on and uh, we need to restore our civil liberties and our civil rights. Absolutely. You know, and, and I would I would actually include you in with uh, being one of the uh, the, the jewels that, that God has uh, chosen to, to be at the forefront of this. Um, uh, thank you for your service uh, and thank you for just being, uh, you know, so invested in this, not and, and, and not just it's not just about you at all. Um, you know, you care about your brothers, uh, whether they're they're uh, proud boys or, uh, you know, anybody else in this fight. And uh, you, you have done a lot of amazing investigative work, uh, put together some top-notch videos uh, to get out the truth. And, uh, you know, so thank you for all that you're doing on that front. Thank you. I appreciate it. You know, there's a lot to do. Um, I understand not everyone can donate. Not everyone can do everything. People have jobs, careers, families. Um, but January Sixers need everyone's support more than ever. Uh, Black Lives Matter happened. The entire world posted a black square. You know, we need some support. Um, if you can't do anything financially, if you can't do anything physically, you know, going with Mickey and, and Randy Ireland and these people to the courthouse uh, to call the prisoners, you know, find what you can do. But if you can't do anything, share the content, share the word, call Marjorie Taylor Greene, call Representative Gosar and all these people um, who, you know, hopefully are going to stand up for us. But we need to make it clear that this is the most important thing that they can do um, while they're there in Congress right now, uh, aside from. Uh, reforming the voting system and stopping mail-in ballots, but uh, <laughs> getting, getting rid of the machines, uh, you know, uh, yeah, and, and, just, and just mailing ballots out everywhere in the in the country. Um, it's it's absolutely ludicrous. But yeah, they have they have two things to do: is is save the J Sixers and save our elections so that we can have free and fair elections going forward. Yeah, yeah, we wouldn't have had J Six if it weren't for the the fraudulent election in the first case, first place. Yeah, yeah. yeah well. Well, you know, the COVID thing happened and then all of a sudden all these laws were changed to allow this this mail-in voting and then states have ballot harvesting laws. And it was a perfect storm for a uh, disputed election um, that, you know, 
2,000 mules pretty much proved it. Um, this There was criminality going on. So, uh, yeah, we, we don't want to ever have this happen again. Um, but, you know, if anything ever did happen again, we need to keep our rights. We need to keep our right to address, to redress our government. And if people want to show up in D.C., um, you know, they should be able to. And if they're leftists, they are. So we need to uh, restore order, restore our constitutional liberties, um, you know, equal justice under the law. That's what this nation was created, uh, you know, to reinforce. Absolutely. Where? Well, uh, do you have a fundraiser that you would like to share or a website or anything like that? I do. I want to share the fundraisers for all the guys that are about to go on trial this month. Um, but I have a personal legal fund, uh, which I would appreciate help with. Um, we're going to need experts at, at these trials, um, in addition to lawyers and, and all this stuff. It's the entire weight of the government, um, you know, probably hundreds of thousands of, of FBI agents and DOJ investigators coming down on us. And, you know, we're all just just single people. Um, so it's it's really hard to fight these cases, as we've seen with some of these these verdicts that have come previously. Uh, you know, we're at a really big disadvantage. So uh, we do appreciate any donations to any of our gifts and goes. Um, but I do have an investigate J6 gifts and go. And what I'm trying to do with that is instead of legal funds and instead of uh, getting experts for trial, we're trying to get analysts. We're trying to get AI software. Um, when this 14,000 hours of footage comes out, and I hope to do just a watch uh, lawsuit um, for the, the FOIA request uh, is granted, when this comes out, you know, it's, it's it's years and years and years of of man hours that it would take to look at this stuff. So we're trying to get AI software and analysts and 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 people that really know what they're doing in the intelligence world um, to to examine this footage, uh, locate where protesters were throughout the day. Um, like I said with Joe Biggs in the J6 committee, they they show him you know entering the property very far from the Capitol, and then the next thing. Um, they're saying that he's in the Capitol, you know, just basically beelined in and is, is trying to storm it. You know, if we have this software that we can see where everyone was, you can see, you know, maybe Joe Biggs over here, um, you know, getting attacked by police. You know, it's 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 a it's a way for us to show the whole story. So um, we're trying to raise funds for Investigate J6. So if anyone wants to help with that, uh, you can find us on Gifts and Go. I mean, we saw these experts come in, um, you know, a, a, a lot of them uh, in, in different groups come in and. Uh, and, and look at, uh, you know, the, the voter fraud, uh, all the election fraud that was going on. And so I have no doubt that we can find uh, similar people or even these same people to be willing to to take on on that front. Yeah, well, we're two years into it. So uh, we're coming up on the three year anniversary of January 6th. So, you know, we got to we got to get started. I think we've uh, it's it's been a, a slow buildup of, of this community and fighting back. But I, I think, like you said earlier, Congress people are taking it seriously and um, I do think we're we're about to hit that point where things start, you know, turning back in our favor. Um, but yeah, we need to be all hands on deck, and uh, you know, don't don't let them brush this under the rug and move on and and say, you know, you know, we we don't want to litigate 2020 anymore. Let's just move on. J6 was you know uh, a dark day, and you know we can't let that happen. We need a you know we need the the sunlight. Sunlight's the best disinfectant, and we need full sunlight, full disclosure. Um, so the American people know what happened, because uh, right now they don't. Uh, when I meet people on the street and talk to them, most people are clueless. Um, it's just kind of our community of people who are affected by this and have friends and um, or we're at January 6th themselves. And, um, you know, our, you know, people are afraid that their door is going to be kicked in next. And, you know, they were just, you know, maybe, you know, half a mile away from the Capitol. Um, you know, it's we need to come together. Well, thank you so much, AJ. Uh, you know, we'll be praying for you and uh, 
definitely take a look at, at his website. And uh, if, if you can, please donate or uh, at least share all of this information, uh, you know, with all your contacts and across social media. Thank you, Mel. Thanks for all you're doing. Americans for Justice, Inc. is a nonpartisan alliance that vigorously defends the U.S. Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and due process across our great nation, which are pivotal to preserving life, liberty, and freedom for all. Too long we have played defense and are losing on all battlefronts through divided efforts. The root problem of election integrity, medical freedom, political prisoners, southern border crisis, CPS and APS and others is one common thing, a direct assault on the U.S. Constitution and due process. Americans for Justice is a nonprofit organization with local chapters in all 50 states, working with lawyers, legal scholars, and organizations to actively fight government overreach at all levels. Unite with us in the fight for our J6 political hostages and whatever else due process rights are violated. We ask for your support in this vital mission through a one-time donation or an ongoing membership. Go to the letter A, the number 4, justice.org. 